Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another audio installment of Tiptoe Through the Tulips. We come today to Chapter 12 of Calvin's Institutes, and we're going to be covering all three sections, talking about uh, all kinds of interesting things regarding religious worship, superstition, and what pure worship would look like. And so what are some of the things that we took away from Chapter 12, gentlemen, what are some of the major themes that were sticking out to us? Well, so this this whole section talks about the uh, the right way to worship God um, and how none of our worship should go towards, you know, anybody or anything else and that uh, any any wrong or uh, unprescribed Thai styles of worship are against his will and should not be practiced at least that's that's how i took the whole of it so yeah um i i concur kicking this off um there's a concept uh, uh you wrote right at the beginning in one of your notes um that uh um we said at the commencement of our work chapter two that the knowledge of god consists not in frigid speculation and what you had highlighted is, but carries worship along with it. And you wrote in the notes, all theology should lead to doxology. Um, I found that really interesting. I was wondering if you could expound on that a little bit. That is, uh, I, I stole that from Shai Lin. Um, so basically, yep. the more that we learn about God, the only, the only logical conclusion that should come from all theology is about God and his character. Um, the more we learn about him, the more we should love him, which should cause us to overflow in praise and in worship. Um, and so if your theology is not leading to doxology, then you've got, there's something, there's some kind of obstruction there uh, that shouldn't be. Uh, or if you've got a ton of doxology, but not a lot of theology, then you got to be careful because you could be worshiping the wrong person or the wrong way which is kind of, you know, the point that Calvin makes here. But basically, the whole point of theology is to know and to love God more, uh, not just to understand it and to stay in what Calvin called uh, frigid speculation, but there should be worship along with it. Nice. Um, so he kind of, but basically he goes on and on uh, in this, in this whole section, um, where he talks about uh, how pure religion differs from superstition. Uh, honest worshipers read and read and read and ponder what is true. And after all of this, we're supposed to turn to God and worship. Um, so that way, he says, we might not worship God absurdly. And my question is, you know, do you guys have any uh, examples of what it looks like to worship him absurdly? Uh, do you have any uh, examples of what right worship that might be a little controversial or wrong worship that might be a little controversial or anything along those lines? Um, I would say that anything. As we... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. Sorry, do you want to go? No, nope, right, go ahead. I would say, as we've seen in many of the chapters, I mean, Calvin Dunn hate those idols. And so anything that would prescribe wrong theology to God, I mean, is almost in the realm of superstition. I mean, like, like you said, pure pure religion differs from superstition. And I think that gives credence to um, atheists and uh, other religions to say, 
well, you know, like here's a contradiction. And when sometimes you even can stop them and say, the Bible doesn't even say that. They, they built it on their own opinions. They put their opinion as authority over scripture itself. And then they'll insert these like little nuggets of just like, well, yeah, but like, like one of my favorites is when they say something like, God will never give you more than you can handle. It, oh, what? It doesn't say that at all. And, uh, or, or like, uh, um, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And I'm like, no, God detests the wicked. And we're all that way. We need to realize that we're not good. So anyway, I think that's part of what, uh, like creating idols of God. And then also like creating like worth in man thinking we're worth anything without God. Um, I mean, that leads to um, worship of the assert of in the absurdity. I want you to know that ever since you pointed out how often I say right, uh, <laughs> I, I I really, really on that whole thing that you just said, I had to hold myself back from saying right about six or seven. Just times. Uh, insert a new uh, similar phrase uh, such as uh, uh, you got it, buddy, or oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to do either of those. I would do absolutely, but that's Aaron's. Uh, I don't know. I'll Maybe I'll just like lean in towards the mic <laughs> and go, mm-hmm. <laughs> What were you going to say, Aaron, earlier? Oh, I was just trying to pick who I wanted to offend with the absurd forms of worship. You oh, know, I mean, my it. mind goes to like Pentecostal charismatic churches that are literally like handling venomous snakes and like rolling up and down aisles. Um, well, no, part no, of me why, wants why to you, say, why you think of those people? I want to I'm, I want to be clear on this. Because when I think of the definition of the word absurd, I think of something that is radically out of the norm. Mm -hmm. And most churches do not have a petting zoo inside of them. <laughs> Fair enough. I, so I agree. I just want that's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and then then I also think, you know, even what I think is more common and accepted of like um evangelical churches uh, where we're singing 7-Eleven songs and repeating the same three words over and over and over without any theological substance to the song. And we're just uh, singing a million times, getting this emotional high without actually reflecting on anything relative to God. And so I think that's an equally absurd form of worship because it's void of God. I think that the, the Pentecostal snake handling form of worship is absurd because it adds to God. And so it kind of comes to this concept of any time we're taking away from or adding to God, uh, we are not giving the best that we can in worship. And so that's why we should only sing hymns. Um, I, oh, wow. Okay. No, that's that's an interesting topic. We should talk about that on a frolic. I'm curious about about that. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be um, down to listen. To that. But but what I, I would I so he, he Calvin here mentions it in the first section. He says that um, that piety that it may stand with a firm step confines itself within due bounds. And we have talked previously about, uh, you know, the whole idea of, you know, quote, putting God in a box. Um, so what do we say, like, how do we respond to the people who would say, no, 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 we're, we're handling snakes as a form of worship to God. Um, and we don't want to put God in a box. We want to worship him in the way that, you know, that gives him the most glory, you know, from the way we, we, we handle snakes. What's your guys' response to something like that? 
my mind immediately goes to Nadab and Abihu, who God told them to put him in the box of worship me the way I told you to worship me. And then when they offered strange fire, he smote them both on the spot. Uh, no questions asked. I mean, God has explicitly told us how he wants to be worshiped just because he has told us his preference and his very rigid preference and how he wants to be worshiped doesn't mean that we're confining his ability or confining his power in any way. We're just being obedient to what he's prescribed mm -hmm. for us. The way you describe that kind of reminds me, have you ever had um, a relative or someone ask you what you want for Christmas? And you're like, I just want this. I don't want that like there are different types of it. I just want this specific one. And uh, my mind actually goes to an episode of that 70 show where he goes, I just want a tape deck, not an eight track player. And he says, I don't want an eight track player. And his mom goes, Oh, you hear that? Those eight track players. Like, no, 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 no. I just want a tape deck. And when it comes to his birthday, he gets an eight track player, which he can't even use. And so that's kind of what it that, like, that just reminded me of like, you know, this is how I would, this is how I desire to be worshiped. And we're like, okay, so we'll do it this way. Well, yeah, and I think that that's, I think that's a good point. Right. Um, but I think it even goes a little bit further than just, you know, what God wants. But I think that Calvin, Calvin says that it, it, it uh, we need to worship Him in accordance to His will in, in the mm -hmm. latter part of the second chapter, um, because maybe I read this wrong. You guys can tell me if I read this wrong, but it said he later on says that the law with its manifold uses and objects place uh, at present i only advert to this one that it is designed as a bridle to curb men and to prevent them from turning aside to spurious worship um so putting those two concepts together the fact that we worship in a way that curbs and prevents us from turning aside and in worshiping in a way that is according to god's will uh really is just a way for god to maybe i could be wrong but it's almost like maybe i'm reading this wrong too so help me out here uh, but it's almost like God is wanting to be distinguished, and so he prescribes a, a specific way for himself to be worshipped um, as a way to be distinguished from other gods um, and as a way to be aligned with who he is in his character. Uh, because we see throughout the Old Testament, God is putting into place that the, the Hebrews should not dress a certain way because they'll be like the pagans. They shouldn't act a certain way because they'll be like the pagans. They should be distinguished and set apart from the other tribes and the other groups of people um, so that way they can be seen as being set apart for God. And in the same way, the worship of God should also be set apart in a way that is good for us because that's, that's the, the goal of, of worship is twofold to be for our good and for his glory. But at the same time, it has to be within his will. Um, like we would never ever say that God would require a human or a child sacrifice as a way to worship himself um, or that God would require that we, we have temple prostitutes uh, for us to use as a means of worship, because that goes against who he is and who he has declared himself to be in scripture. Um, and so by following all of these different patterns of worship, we actually are giving a, a different view of the character of God. Um, would you say that's fair or am I, am I reading into it too much? I think it's probably fair. Or did I bore you guys with my monologue? I do that a lot. No, I thought that was uh, spot on. And, and a lot of that discussion actually 
reminded me of what Sproul covers in The Holiness of God. Uh, it's this idea that it is a testimony to his character and his nature uh, that he must be set apart and different uh, from what these false gods have set themselves up to be. Uh, and and in doing that, he does tell us quite a bit about his character, the things that are pleasing to him, the things that are not pleasing to him, the things that he would be uh, in support of and the things that he would reject. And so I think that's absolutely what it is, is worship uh, is prescribed to us by God in the way that he wants it to be done. Uh, and I say wants it, not in uh, a, a sense of you have a choice, you can do it this way or you can do it your own way. When I say wants it, it's how he demands sure. to be worshipped. And I think that we have to be faithful to that. And that's why I think we should all wear suits and dresses to church. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was thinking about that I was, I was as I was reading this, and I wanted to put a note in there where I said, hey, you should talk about this in here. But then I thought you might think that I'm like mocking you, which I'm definitely not. Um, but no, I, I, I definitely, I thought that because there is, there is definitely a way to reverence God in the way that you dress. And there's a way to be dishonorable to God in the way that you dress. And I think that, uh, I think that, I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good point. Um, so in the second and the third part, we, well, and actually he kind of goes into it in the first section a little bit. He says in the same way too, for some ages past, departed saints have been exalted to partnership with God to be worshiped, invoked, and lauded in his stead. So, you know, knowing the background and the context of the, the institutes, you know, he is mainly against um, the Catholic Church at the time. So... The next couple of sections really go into the worship of saints uh, and into the the you know exalt, exaltation of saints, and I wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that. So I guess one thing I'll say, um, I'll be honest, I didn't glean a lot of really useful things out of section two. I did have a few thoughts in section three. Um, but honestly, I think that this is widely applicable beyond the criticisms of the Catholic Church and the Reformation. Uh, in fact, my mind more so went to uh, like the charismatic churches, the um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. Um, I think that this, these criticisms and these admonitions are still widely applicable just beyond the Catholic Church. Um, you know, I think they're fair criticisms of that church, but I think that we are deceiving ourselves if we think that the only church that struggles with these issues are the Catholics. Can you, I, I agree with you, but I want you to flesh it out. Like why, why, why do you uh, well, think of the, the other sects of churches when you think about this? So I feel like a lot of what he's getting at, more so in section three than section two, uh, is giving religious honor um, to something other than God, uh, which obviously in section two, he's referring to kind of the worship of the saints and things. Uh, but I think that we also do that um, beyond that. I mean, obviously, I think the, the Mormon church, uh, first of all, they do have a, a saint system. Uh, they do recognize do they really? uh, their disciples or apostles. I can't remember. I didn't know they had a saint Well, system. their apostles are, are basically a I, I mean, it's not, it's not like they have 
named patron saints of things as much as the Catholics. But I mean, if you're one of the apostles on that council, I mean, you basically achieve deification. Uh, and so, I mean, they treat everyone as potentially a, a divine God in that religion, uh, but that's a whole other topic for another time. Um, but I, I just think that we shouldn't be too myopic in this criticism um, because I, I think that, you know, it's a criticism of idolatry at its core and we have idols that are much more subtle than human beings. Uh, and one thing I did appreciate, and again, this is going to be out of section three that he pointed out was there's a difference between, um, you know, paying homage or respect to a person and worshiping a person. And it's definitely a fine line and kind of a slippery slope, but it is possible to recognize someone um, doing something that is good and godly and worthy of praise uh, without uh, committing the sin of idolatry. I mean, I think we see this in our churches when our pastors are thanked for their service. Um, we see this, I mean, really, every time we pay them, that's essentially what we're doing if we're in a church that actually has a salaried pastor. Um, I see examples of this in the secular world um, with different awards or sporting events. Uh, there's nothing wrong with recognizing success and something that is done in a godly, glorifying way that a man does. But we have to make sure that we, at the end of the day, are worshiping the God who created that man or woman, not worshiping that individual as a God. Well, in, in section three, he takes the time to explain that there are, there's worship and service, um, and that the, the, the folly of some men is to say, well, we worship God, but we lend our service to these other men. Um, and I think that's where you're talking about where the fine line kind of comes in. Um, so I, I wonder, where would you, where would you draw that line between worship and service? Or worship and, and just, uh, you know, um, I, what was the word you used? Giving them honor and homage? Like yeah. paying homage, honor, yeah. Because it is a fine line. So, I mean, I don't think there is a clear cut. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that it would be wise to try to classify it in terms of um, physical acts, right? Because I think that... Um, you know, what it's going to ultimately boil down to is heart intent. Now, that said, I think if you're bowing down before another man, uh, that feels really worshipy to me. Um, if you are invoking their name in an attempt to uh, get something from God from them, that's definitely idolatry. Uh, but if you are complimentary of them uh, or, um, you know, just recognizing attributes that they they have that reflect the image of Christ, then I don't see anything wrong with that. A lot of it's going to come to your heart intent. And I guess one thing I'll say about that is what I've been trying to do um, when I compliment people that I know are fellow Christians, um, I try to always frame it in a way that lets them know that I see Christ reflected in the way that they act or a thing that they did. Um, and I'm always trying to direct it back to Christ and not to them. Um, you know, so I will say, hey, God has really gifted you with this ability. I see the love of Christ in you when you do this. And I know that he's glorified by it. And so 
you know, it's not, it is kind of giving them a kudos, but ultimately it's recognizing the only reason you are capable of this is because of Christ and the gifts that he has given you. And so I think a lot of it has to come back to what's our heart intent behind doing the action. Is it to uh, edify or not edify? Is it to, um, I guess, be worshipful of the man or is it to be worshipful of what the man was capable of doing through God. Mm-hmm. Travis, I think you had a similar point where you were talking about God getting the glory. One, you highlighted uh, the end of the first paragraph. He said that unless everything peculiar to divinity is confined to God alone, he is robbed of his honor and his worship is violated. Yeah, no, and I wrote that God alone gets the glory. Sorry, what? No, I was just asking if you remembered what you, why you highlighted that. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think this feeds into uh, Soli Deo Gloria. I mean, God alone gets the glory. And I wrote, maybe we can have uh, participation trophies one day bestowed by God. Um, because if we, um, and, and I think at what to what Aaron was saying in his last bit, um, if we can, you know, tell them like, yeah, I think in, you, you are you are presenting Christ in an honorable way. You are, you know, being Christ-like. But uh, I was recently reminded of uh, with what Matt Chandler said at Elevation Church, um, where he's like, the Bible's not about you. And he also said, let me just help you. You're not David. And he's saying, you know, through these things, you know, we try to make the Bible about our life and that, oh man, this is just like what I'm going through. And it's like, you know, you can take examples and you can take stories and learn from them. But if you're not learning that this is about Christ and that this is about like if you're like wow david was so great it's like no 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 no. christ was great in david you have to give the glory to god and not to the man so but uh yeah yeah absolutely see that Aaron? i stole yours absolutely right oh man what, what am i gonna you take right i'll take absolutely we'll just switch back and forth every once in a cool, while cool and i'll stick with like 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 yeah, you can have that one. I do think that we we probably I, I maybe maybe I should mention one thing about uh, what he talks about in chapter or section two, where he does say that uh, the um, the Catholic Church does elevate saints to godhood. Um, because I think that it, it is worth mentioning, um, and I do think that we should you know this is a discussion that we should be having with our Catholic brothers and sisters, right? Um, because the, it is a concern. Um, Throughout all of church history, there is a concern about placing man too high. Um, And to me, it seems kind of clear that by raising them and elevating these men and women to sainthood is putting them, you know, much higher than their status. Uh, Section two, that it is plain that the worship which papists pay to saints differs in no respect from the worship of God. So I read that and I highlighted it because I thought, okay. That's I mean that's a pretty uh it's a pretty harsh statement. Um I don't is that do you guys find that to be true? Uh can you guys find any distinction between the way that um sainthood is bestowed upon people and the worship of God? So recently I just saw videos about someone defending it and saying that it's no different than if you were to ask your neighbor to pray for you to like pray to the saints. And I got to be honest, it doesn't sound remotely right, especially because if someone has passed away and if you're you're going to them as kind of the mediator, uh, Christ has already fulfilled that position and he fully fulfills that position. 
And not only that, I mean, we see in terms of uh, just the statues they make and in terms of like, uh, and this is a question I don't fully know because I'm not well-versed in Catholicism. Is the Hail Mary still in use today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the title itself, Hail oh, yeah. Mary. No, no, no. I mean. I, uh, I use the Hail Mary at least once. Right. Time I but they were not. <laughs> well, they would, Travis, they would argue to that, that that is out of scripture in the Magnificat. And, uh, and I think that's a somewhat fair argument, although, um, yeah, obviously I don't agree with it either. My issue with the saints thing is, as you already pointed out, Travis, Hebrews has prescribed for us that there is one mediator between man and God, and that is Christ Jesus. Uh, and so I think the idea of going to those who have already passed away and beseeching them to go before God on your behalf is troublesome, especially since there are scriptures that forbid any kind of communing or attempting to commune with those who are dead, which would include all the saints. Uh, the, the other issue is I think it puts God the Father in a really bad light. Uh, it makes it look like he is this distant, cold, unhearing God that has to be appeased by people higher up on the totem pole than you. Uh, and, and I think that that does a great disservice to the character of God, our father, who we are called to view in an intimate relationship as Abba father. And so I, I don't like that component of it either. My other issue with the saint worship or veneration, as I think they would prefer to have it referred to, although it's impossible to, to distinguish between the two when you just observe their physical actions, um, is the iconoclasm of it. Uh, so the patron saints, they all have coins, they all have necklaces, they all have trinkets um, that people are encouraged to purchase and carry around and use as kind of an instrument of worship to focus in their worship to that saint, or excuse me, their veneration to that saint on behalf of whatever they need for that particular saint. And I think that's concerning as well, because again, it's wading back into idle territory where we're dependent upon a physical object and we somehow imbue that with a power to petition God with, which I think scripture is pretty clear that we don't need. And so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, there are some legitimate criticisms here. Um, I, I think that we can't just gloss over the fact that um, a lot of saint, even if you want to just call it veneration, it's very difficult to distinguish it from worship. And I think it's a very dangerous thing. And if people can't, um, if people can't see the dangers that come with that, I'm a little concerned. Um, you know, I'd like to learn more about it so that I can maybe understand how they defend it better. But from what I've observed and the little I know, um, it's it's very hard to see the distinction, so much so that um, I live in a predominantly Catholic community, and I know lay parishioners um, who accidentally refer to it as worship all the time. And uh, I know their priests would rebuke them for that and tell them, no, it's not worship, it's veneration. But it's clear to me that, at least here, 
the the lay person practicing in the Catholic Church really doesn't understand that distinction, and their heart attitude is probably in the same place that it would be for prayerful worship to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's let concerning. Let me back a little bit off of what you talked about with uh, the <clears throat> the trinkets and the um, the different icons that they use. Uh, it, it seems to me that they tend to place saints in a in a in a in a position where they're nearly omniscient and omnipotent right uh by be you know praying to these saints um mm. they have to assume that all of these saints are hearing all of these millions of prayers every single day uh they've got and, they've, and they can understand it all perfectly um they mm-hmm. also set it up to the point where uh, like I, I i know many people because um, I've, I've got a lot of friends who are in the Catholic Church um, who have the saint of, you know, of safe travel. Was that Thomas or Stephen or something like that? Um, I couldn't that tell you. Christopher. I Christopher, of, they, but... Basically, they, they, have this, they have some kind of icon of the saint in their car uh, or any other mode of traffic, and they, they rely on that saint to, you know, use their power to get them somewhere safely. Uh, and so that kind of gives them this 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 power that goes beyond what a human has. It, it places power that is, you know, the the power of protection and guidance and uh, and grace is God alone. Um, but it it seems like you said from just from the outside looking in that they are placing this power within the will of the saints rather than the will of God Himself. Um, and it, so it does seem. Um, like there really isn't much of a distinction between the worship of God and the worship of saints. And I think that's what Calvin was trying to say. And I think I agree with him because when I first read that, I thought that seems a little harsh. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I kind of thought maybe, I mean, maybe he's right. I, I think we should get, we should get a Catholic friend on here. Have them explain it to us. Yeah. I know just the guy too. He would do a good job. Um, so that's something that yeah. we definitely should do in a frolic. Um, it's St. Christopher, by the way, is the patron saint of safe travel. Um, and you brought something up, actually, that's interesting because you're right. They would need to be at least omniscient um, to do a lot of what they're being asked to do in the veneration of the Catholics. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, most of the saints are European and do not speak <laughs> English. And so I'm just wondering, like... Are they sitting up there like almost at each so they, they have a translator no. before they can become the mediators, what you're saying. Yeah, I wonder who the patron saint of me or translators is. You probably have to go to you have to pray to that patron saint first and then he'll pass it along to the next guy. So now that we've offended our entire that Catholic was not base, the intention. That was not the intention. What else jumped out to us and it was Calvin's yeah. intention. It was not yeah. our intention. What else jumped out? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I um, think that's all I've got. The, you had a question, Matthias, that... Uh, Did um, I? Yeah, it, well, in the notes that really... Uh, where is it? Okay, hold on. Getting to it. Uh, yeah, it's in section two. Um, it's where Calvin says, but no man doubts that uh, to serve is something higher than to worship... For uh, it were often a hand or hard, sorry, your little cursor keeps moving in the way and blocking the text. Quit moving around. For it were often a hard thing to serve him 
whom you would not refuse to uh, reverence. So, and you put, is this true to the first part? And I was honestly wondering, like, where does it say that to serve is something higher than to worship? Yeah, see, I, I don't think I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't seem to follow that because I've, I've served people. I mean, you, you're in the service industry, Travis. Mm -hmm. um, you serve people all the time that you would have absolutely no intention of ever reverencing. Guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I served for, you know, nearly 10 years as a, as a waiter. Um, and most of the people that I served, I, I served because it was my duty, not because, you know, it was out of, out of my reverence towards them. Um, I mean, you could make the argument, I guess, that you were serving out of reverence towards God and you wanted to do the best that you could, but I just, I still don't think that he's right here. I don't think, because he says no man doubts that to serve is something higher than to worship. I just don't, I don't find that to be true. John Calvin wrong, question mark? Maybe. I guess it depends on how you dis how you define serve. So you're saying that, so I, I guess rearticulate for me. You're saying that just because you're serving doesn't mean that well, you're no, worshiping. He's, he's saying that serving is higher than worshiping, um, which I guess in a sense is kind of true. Um, depending on how you define serving and how you define worshiping. But I mean, we can do, we uh, can do you, works without truly worshiping, I feel. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so again, it comes down to his definition of serving and worshiping. I just, I don't think that, I don't think that serving is higher than worship. And I don't even think that worship, well, I think worship would be higher than serving. I really do. I think that if, if you, if you worship something, it's because you love it. If you serve something, it could be out of reverence, it could be out of love, or it could be out of duty. Um, Unless what he's saying is, um, once you worship something, you make that extra effort to serve it. So it's saying like, um, you know, with like the fruits of the spirit or with, you know, being able to, um, you believe in God, you believe uh, Christ is the, um, is the savior. And then from that, you then go into um serving maybe you could say that that's kind of a fur that's like along with sanctification but i'm not but i still don't i just still don't know sure and so the, the context is he's saying that uh a lot of the arguments that people would make when it comes to uh the veneration of the saints is that they they reserve their worship for christ but their service for others um and he's saying well Here's the problem with that is you serve whom you reverence, and so it's actually a higher and harder thing to serve somebody than it is to worship them. Um, therefore, service is placed higher than worship, and I just don't find that to be true. I do. So if you think about it, I mean, it's all going to come down, obviously, to how you define your terms. But when you think about worship, worship is nothing more than giving back to God the praise that is due to him. Uh, and so, I mean, if you, I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, in at least American worship, worship is kind of a more passive thing. It's more of a reflective thing. 
which I think is okay, but it's definitely different from service. I can reflect on the attributes of God and all the praise that is worthy of him, uh, but how much more better is it for me to serve him by going out and sharing the gospel with people and putting feet to that worship? And I think that's what Calvin is driving at here is, you know, worship is something that can be done um, kind of in the privacy of your own heart. But when you're serving, it puts hands to it and actually demonstrates it in a more tangible way. And I think that's what he's talking about. And in that sense, I think that to serve is higher than to worship because you are worshiping through your service. And Matthias, you kind of talked about that, that principle of, you know, whatever you do, work at it with all your might as though you're, you know, doing it for the Lord and not for man. And I think that's probably okay, what he's angling towards here. It's worship through service. And so that would place worship higher than service. I don't know. I get I get hung up on because I there's the, well, there's but, the analogy that but, uh, good old Pope Piper always says, where he says um, it is the duty of the husband to kiss his wife. But if the husband says, "Must I kiss you?" Well, then you know the duty is still there, but the obligation is what is driving it, right? It's not it's not the love that comes from it. And I think that you can very, very easily serve based out of obligation and duty, um, whereas I think that you can only truly worship out of true reverence and love. Um, I think that you can you can fake worship, right? Like you can mouth the words, right? But, but I you think can that true worship, fake even, service even too. true service. But you could fake service too. Can like you, you say if you, if you if you if you yeah you I feel like you can because the whole point that you were I don't doing think an you act. Can. You were doing an action when you okay. Does the unbeliever serve people even in the name of God? Sometimes, yeah. there you absolutely there you go. But does the does the unbeliever truly worship God? No, you can you can fake both. That's right. my point. Right. So and that's I think we're making the same point then. No, I was I was saying anyway, that in counter. Nobody nobody cares anymore. They <laughs> they've all stopped listening at this point. Uh, no one is listening at this point. So. But I, I think I understand your guys' your sides. I don't know. Um, if nothing, do you guys have anything else? Because I got nothing. I was just going to close us on in the last. Yeah. I mean, nobody answered question? my question, but that's okay. Oh, that's not... Well, I mean, I didn't ask it yet, but in the notes, I have marked. In section three, he distinctly says not only that there would be one God, but also that he would have only one name. The reason being that he might have nothing in common with idols. And I was genuinely confused by this and read it like three times. Uh, but God goes by many, 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 many. The names. only thing I had, because I'm, so I'm not too sure either, is I put in the notes, maybe differentiating between names and titles. Um, because, I mean... I don't know. I, I mean, it's kind of this, uh, it reminds me of just the Trinity in, in itself, you know, three God, or not three God, sorry, I almost just completely blasphemed right there. One God, three persons. Um, and it's something that we have to, like, not in, in human form, can't truly wrap our mind around, but we can understand it through, you know, his special revelation. So I, I don't have a correct answer. Do you, Matthias? I think you're right. I think that 
there is a difference between names and titles uh, because the the what you ended up using as uh, examples are like Father, Alpha, Omega, Elohim, El Shaddai, Abba, like all of these different names that he goes by. But in a sense, they're also titles of who he is, right? Just a way to explain his character. Um, but his name is his name. Um, yeah, I, I think I need to think on it a little bit more. But I think I think Travis is on to something. What did you what are you what do you think, Aaron? Yeah. My question then becomes which one is the name and which one's the title? Because I mean, even Yahweh, you know, I am, I mean, that's somewhat of a title more than a name. It just, it would have been, and, and the translation makes it even worse when it's just, you know, capital G God or capital L Lord, because I mean, especially with God, that's confusing because they're, gods who are definitely not the god of the bible and so i just i wish you would have just picked a name like bob and uh and we could have reverenced that because bob is very clearly either a name or a verb or a noun actually never mind that's a bad choice too he should have gone with aaron because that can only be a name and uh and it's, it's clearly a name and not a show, title y'all so. you need it <laughs> I'm the expert on that. I was going to say, we, we are tiptoeing towards blasphemy at this point. So, anyway. <laughs> But uh, if uh, nothing else, I was just going to quote Calvin right at the end to wrap us up. The uh, quote I had was in the last section saying, let it suffice to remember that whatever, uh, whatever offices of piety are bestowed anywhere else than on God alone are the nature of sacrilege. Amen. And that's a good one to go out on. So thanks for tuning in this week and until next.